always also kind of go at that approach of providing value. What can you offer of value to them without really asking for anything in return, right? Don't always go with that direct, hey, look at me. This is what I do. This is, you know, I'm the best coach in the world and <laughs> I do this and I do that. I offer this. I offer this package, right? Hello, and welcome to the Physical Preparation Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Robertson, and I'll be joining the line later today by Nick Lamb. Now, before we jump into this week's episode, I want to give you a quick recap of the week that was, what's new in my neck of the woods, and just a little bit of good food for thought. Now, what is new? Uh, man, last week was a little bit nutty. First week back off spring break slash vacation, playing catch up a good portion of the week. Man, you know how it is. Like, the vacation itself is great, but the week leading up to and the week immediately thereafter tend to just be bananas. So I stepped right back into it on Monday, had probably my busiest coaching week of the year because I got almost all my basketball guys back, got a few stragglers that will be in soon, but I got the core group of my basketball guys in, I've got G in, I've got a couple random people that I picked up over the years, I got Jacob in, so a lot going on on the coaching front. We dove right in to spring sports. Now, luckily, we had a little buffer. The weather has been just absolutely atrocious here. I mean, as I'm recording this, it is Monday, April 18th, and I woke up and there was snow on the ground. (laughs) Only in Indiana, mid-April, are you getting a fresh powder of snow. So luckily, it's already gone. It warmed up. But yeah, the weather's been atrocious. It's been rainy. So the kids have a lot of stuff. But the first half of the week basically got canceled because it was so wet. It was so rainy. So into the week, we had track. Kendall had soccer. Actually had our first soccer game. It was crazy. We had our first practice Friday. We had our first game Saturday. Now, luckily, I had all 12 girls back that I knew uh, from the fall season. And we did all right, as you might recall from that. So it was good, but a little bit of rust to knock off. And we're, I would say, a little bit more skilled team uh, than the team that we played there a little bit more, just kind of like boot the ball and see what happens. So it's going to take us a couple weeks to get our rhythm and our mojo back. We were down 3-0, 45 minutes into the game. And then the last 15 minutes, we remembered how to play soccer and scored three goals, tied it up. If we would have had about two more minutes, I think we would have gotten another. But in games like that in soccer, even though you got a draw, it almost feels like a win because of the way the momentum turned and how well we played at the end. So that's that. Cade's excited to get out and play baseball. He was bummed last week. I mean, we missed, I don't know how many practices now, two, three, four practices. Hopefully we'll get out there tomorrow, but yeah, excited to get him out there. He's itching to play some baseball and get into things. So uh, that's really kind of what's new. Wife had a birthday. That's exciting. My mom had a birthday today, Easter. Like I said, lots and lots and lots going on, but that's a good thing. So my little thought for you today is to pause and be grateful. And I think this is something that is very cliche, something that I'm sure a lot of people are telling you to do, but that also doesn't negate how important it is, right? And this is something that I have to remind myself of constantly because when you get going, when you get in a good groove, when everything seems to be hitting well, sometimes it's easy to, to skip out on these little things like pausing and being grateful. And I mean, there's just been a handful of situations here lately, you know, taking pictures with the kids yesterday on Easter and just 
having some extra time within the last couple weeks just makes you realize like how awesome my kids are, how awesome my wife are, are. That sounds bad. How awesome my wife is, you know, like just I've got this great family. I've got amazing clients. I was actually doing uh, a, a call with one of my mentees last week and he's like, well, you know, how do you keep yourself from burning out? And I said, well, you know, over the last 13 and a half, almost 14 years now at iFast, I've just slowly removed any clients or athletes that don't bring the same level of energy and enthusiasm that I have to the table. So like the the people that I train now, yes, they pay me, but I would absolutely train them for free if I had to because I love them. I appreciate them. They bring great energy to the gym. You know, we laugh and have fun and and people often mistake me for younger being younger than I am when I'm on the floor because I enjoy it so much and we're laughing and we're having fun. So, you know, I have to pause and I have to be grateful for, you know, my family, the business that we've developed over the years, the amazing clients and athletes that I get to interact with. So without making this about me, spin this around now and take a moment yourself. And, you know, I don't care where you're at in life, whether, you know, you're 20, you're 40, you're 60, whether you're at the highest high or the lowest low, chances are you have some things you can be grateful for, right? Some other things that other people looking in on your life would be thrilled to have, right? Whether it's a relationship, a job, a financial situation, you know, we all have things that we can be grateful for, that we can feel blessed for. And it's important to focus on those. Don't focus on the lack. Don't focus on the things that you don't have. Focus on where you're at right now, the, the blessings that you have in your life. And I think if you do that and you do it consistently, and I think writing it down helps. You don't always have to, but I think writing it down helps because it just helps cement it in your brain. It helps bring it to reality. And I'm a big believer it helps you manifest more of the things that you focus on. So be grateful for the things and the people that you have in your life, the situations that you're in, because chances are the more you focus on that, the more you're going to reap that and the more you're going to sow that. So that's it for me. We're going to take a quick break and then we're going to jump into this awesome episode with my guy, Nick Lamb. It seems like every day I talk to a young trainer or coach who is frustrated. Maybe they're frustrated with the results they're getting. Maybe they're frustrated because they don't have trusted resources to learn from. And maybe they're frustrated because they simply don't have enough clients and wonder how long they'll be able to stay in the industry. So if that sounds anything like you, I've got something that I know will help. My Complete Coach Certification was created for trainers and coaches just like you, who are serious about the results they get and who know that becoming a better coach can directly translate to a bigger bottom line. This certification is going to take the last 20 years of my life's work and put it all into one massive course. In it, you'll learn how to use the R7 system to create seamless, integrated, and efficient programs for clients and athletes of all shapes and sizes. How to create the culture, environment, and relationships with everyone you train so you can get the absolute best results. And the exact progressions, regressions, and coaching cues I use in the gym from squatting and deadlifting to pressing and pulling and everything in between. Of course, there's a ton more that I cover, but that should give you a pretty good idea of what the cert is all about. Now here's the thing, spots for the certification will only open twice per year for a limited time only. To get on the insider's list, just head over to completecoachcertification.com. Again, completecoachcertification.com and then stay tuned for emails in the coming weeks. 
Thanks so much for your support, and I hope you'll pick up a copy of the Complete Coach Certification when it launches. Nick Lamb has been a coach for the last 10 years. He has always aimed to and prided himself on being different in his approach to working with clients. He's a massage therapist, strength coach, sleep coach, and health coach, but envisions himself firstly as a healthcare practitioner. Now, amongst all those lifestyle interventions, Nick has taken a deep dive into the world of sleep. He believes that sleep is the foundation for health and well-being, despite being often underappreciated and undervalued. And last but not least, alongside fellow longtime coach Derek Mendoza, Nick founded the Coached Education Platform, an education system designed to elevate the standard for health and fitness coaches by focusing on the missing links of the industry. This past year, they hosted the inaugural Raise the Bar Conference, which brought an unparalleled lineup of 22 leading speakers with a goal of industry growth. In this show, Nick and I cover a bunch of different topics. We start off by talking about sleep and what he's focusing on these days in that regard. From there, we dive into the seminar series he's created and what's allowed him to really grow and thrive during the COVID years. And last but not least, we dive into the topic of Con Ed and get his thoughts on how continuing education will continue to evolve over the years. This is a great show, and I really think you're going to love it. But enough for me. Let's do this. Nick, man, thanks so much for coming on the show here today. Really excited to have you back on. Could you start by just telling us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, absolutely, man. Thank you. Uh, thank you for having me back. It's uh, I think it's been like two and a half years since, yeah. uh, since I was on last. So, um, yeah, great to be back on. Yeah, I mean, just for for those that didn't listen to to first episode, I mean, I've been a coach in the industry for for over a decade. Um, worked in a lot of different settings, mostly the rehabilitative setting, and then within the last say three to four years, I've really transitioned more to the education space, hosting events and courses and conferences, which I know we'll talk about. Um, and I guess my niche or where I've become more known in the industry has been centered around sleep and recovery. So. On most mediums, I go by the online sleep coach and provide sleep-related education for for coaches. I love it, man. I love it. And like you said, it's been like two and a half years since uh, <laughs> since you've been on, and a few things have changed in the world. But what's new in your neck of the woods since you were on last? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I think specifically related to sleep, um, when we spoke last, when I was on last, I think I had just, I was in the very infancy stage of creating the course yes. that, I, that I had yes. around sleep coaching. So that course released in August of 2020. So we've had it out for about a, uh, almost two years now. And we've had about 750 coaches go through the program, you know, kind of from all different walks, primarily uh, fitness coaches, personal trainers. And yeah, man, it, it's been, that's been, that's been the biggest kind of pivot for me is really, again, been focusing more on getting the sleep related education out to more coaches and practitioners, uh, workshops, events, things like that. And then really had the opportunity to, as I know we'll talk about, host some large scale virtual events, which then had the pleasure for me to, along with my business partner, Derek, transition into hosting in-person events. Uh, we just hosted the, the Raise the Bar conference last month, which you were obviously uh, a part of and, and went really well. So yeah, just really kind of going all in on the, the education space. I love it. I, I love it. And I was waiting for you to say an integral part of, but that's okay. An integral part yeah. of the Raise the, the Bar. The primary, the primary piece. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, man. Okay. So like you alluded to, last time you came on, we talked quite a bit about sleep. I'd love to start there, even if we don't spend a ton of time on that topic. You know, when it comes to sleep, I feel like we hear the same things over and over, right? 
get seven and a yeah. half to nine hours, sleep cycles, uh, sleep hygiene, all this good stuff. But I know you're there and you're diving into this stuff every day. Is there anything new that you've learned in the past two, two and a half years that we should be thinking about or applying? I wouldn't say there's necessarily anything I've learned new. Well, obviously I've learned new things. I wouldn't say there's anything that major that jumps out. What I will say is I've really, within creating the course and working with a lot of coaches, I've really doubled down on the behavioral aspect to improving sleep. And I think that's kind of the missing link within, within what we see in the industry where, like you said, it's something that's talked about these hygiene lists still float around um, even years later, right? These, these hygiene lists that have no context, no individuality of that person and what they're actually dealing with. And so really doubling down on the ways in which coaches can integrate this into what they do, right? Because the reality is I've worked with hundreds of people on improving their sleep and behavior is at the root cause very, very often. Yeah. Even when there's a medical reason why that individual is struggling, once it starts to get into a more chronic issue, there really are a lot of behavior components attached to that. And obviously that's very much within our wheelhouses as coaches and trainers to, to be able to help with, right? And so- mm -hmm. I think the other element that I've been spending a lot more emphasis on when it comes to talking to coaches is the business opportunity that sleep coaching provides as well, right? So if I look at the breakdown of the people that have gone through my course, I'd say maybe only 15, 20% have actually gone on to offer sleep coaching as what we'll call a separate service, right? Whether it's coaching blocks or setting up a separate business or separate stream of revenue, the, the rest have been trying to find ways to integrate it into what they do. But I mean, just looking at this in kind of the bigger picture, roughly half the population struggles with sleep in some capacity, depending on how you define what it means to struggle, right? Is it right. one night a week? Is it trouble staying asleep? Is it fatigue during the day, right? How do we define that? But it's a large percentage of the population, right? So yeah. in the United States alone, let's say 150 million people, right? And if we think about the options that are available for those people, firstly, there are only 7,500 practicing sleep physicians in the United States, readily available. Wait, and there is not in uh, 7,500. 7, oh my gosh, are you serious? Yeah. That's and mind -blowing. a lot of them, not to to poo-poo the ones that you know have been around a long time, but a lot of them actually have a very archaic way of how they treat and how they look at things, haven't really evolved with the times, right? So you can, you can cut that number down even a little bit. And there's not an influx of those getting into medicine that are, you know, jumping at the opportunity to go into sleep medicine, right? That's right. not... That's not necessarily coming down the pipeline either. And then if we think about the primary options that are available for those that are struggling, it's sleeping pills, which we may have may or may not have talked about last time, come with pretty serious health risks if they're yeah. taken for a long period of time. Or these, these hygiene lists, which again, there's some good information on there, but there's no context to that individual, right? So I always use the example from an exercise standpoint, if somebody came to see you and said, Hey, you know, I want to train at IFAST. I want to, I want to coach with you. And you just said, Hey man, that sounds great. Here's a list of 10 exercises. <laughs> Go have fun. Right. And right. you come back to me. Right. We would never do that, but that's kind of what the industry does um, around sleep. And so there's this huge void and this huge opportunity that I think exists for a lot of coaches. And I know there's varying levels to this. Not everybody's going to want to be a quote unquote sleep coach and offer that as a separate service. But again, if we think about the amount of people that are struggling and how few options there are available for those people, big void. Yeah. Yeah. So here's, what's interesting about this too. And I've, I've mentioned this numerous times over the years. I feel like if you're in this industry for the long haul, 
you know, obviously it behooves you to dive into the training side and understand training and sets and reps and anatomy. All that's important. But I think you almost need these periods of time where it's six months to a year, preferably earlier in your career versus later, where you dive into topics like nutrition, like sleep, because these are things your clients and athletes are going to ask you about. So it really just makes sense for you to be a more well-educated coach to be able to have these discussions. Now, it doesn't mean you know all the things, right? right. But but those surface-level yeah. questions, maybe you can do some troubleshooting and help people out. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I always, you know, I always kind of break it down as there being two levels to this, right, or two different areas. You obviously have, like you said, the people that are struggling. So if you're working with people on a regular basis, you know, we talk about this all the time, you're seeing somebody twice a week over the course of the year, you're seeing them a hundred times, right? right? And they're only seeing their physician maybe three times at most, if that, right? And that's if yep. they're sick. So you have way more opportunities and they're going to turn to you for these things. They're going to ask you these things because they're, you're who they see, right? So there is the, there is the aspect of just being able to maybe problem solve a little bit for them and help them out with their, them struggling. But then I think there's the other piece to this that maybe doesn't get talked about as much is just how fundamental sleep and recovery is to the goals that people have, whether that's body composition related goals, performance related goals, right? Getting out of pain, whatever it might be, right? I mean, if you break down exercise science 101, right? We provide a stimulus, right? And people get hung up on that stimulus and what it should be and the intensities and the programming of that. But ultimately that stimulus triggers somebody to then need to adapt and recover. Right. And when they recover from that adequately, they hopefully get better than they started off, right? That's base kind of base level of what we do. But if we don't guide that process of recovery at all, and they don't get back to even baseline, we could even be doing in some instances a disservice because we're adding more to their cumulative load without allowing them to recover, right? Because if you add exercise to someone's plate, you're adding an increased recovery demand, an increased need for them to sleep. Um, And so I think that's another big, aspect that we haven't quite filled that void in the industry either. Yeah. It's just so interesting to me because over the years, when you look at people and you keep most of the other variables the same, but you increase sleep, it's amazing how all of a sudden now body comp starts to improve. Like you alluded to, pain starts to improve. I mean, we have chronic pain people that have come into our gym and it's like, how much are you sleeping? Oh, like four and a half, five hours a night. Can we just get yeah. that to six? Can we get it to seven? And it's amazing. Without a lot of other stuff changing, all of a sudden, all those measurable things, and sometimes they're more subjective than others, but these measurable things that we're using to guide our treatment or our training start to improve. Yeah, no, exactly. And that was, you know, that was one of the elements that got me so interested in sleep in the first place. Again, working in the rehabilitative setting, it was, you were seeing so many people that were doing the same interventions and just having drastically different recovery times and outcomes, right? And yes. it was, one, what, what are these variables that, diff, that are different? And obviously, there's more than one, right? Nutrition plays a, a key role and, and all these other things. But sleep came up time and time again, right? And so that was part of the the fascination for me around sleep. And also, which I'm sure we can all relate, having those clients that are doing all the right things when it comes to the other two pillars of exercise and nutrition, right? They're doing all the things that you ask them in the gym, outside of the gym, right? They're tracking their food. They've made improvements there, right? But they're still hitting a wall. They're still hitting a plateau and they're not getting results. 
And very often sleep is that missing link because the reality is if they're not sleeping optimally, right, they're always going to be leaving results on the table in some capacity. Yeah, for sure. Okay, well, if people want to dive more into this topic, I will refer them to the first podcast. I'll make sure we put the link in the show notes so they can check that out. But I want to shift gears because like you kind of alluded to, you have done a lot of work in the seminar space in the last two years. So just for starters, what prompted you to start doing your own seminars? Yeah, so honestly, it, it started pretty pretty small and pretty innocently, and it was just kind of a logical progression that I think everybody kind of takes in the education space where I had the, the course, the online course around sleep, and I had the opportunity to do some speaking engagements, and it was more just, hey, can I host my own sleep-related workshops where it's myself and maybe I bring in a guest or two, and basically was planning this right in the beginning of 2020. You know, obviously we know things pivoted, things changed. So those all got canceled. And so I said, all right, well, what if I obviously host this virtually? And then it became more of what if I brought in more speakers, right? Because now I have more accessibility to speakers. It's virtual They might be available. So let me just put some feelers out. And I was aiming for maybe five to 10 speakers, we could do like a one day event. Right. And the first event, we ended up having 31 speakers, just about everybody was saying yes. And I think the timing was was great on that. Um, and it just really took on a life of its own. And I, I, a lot of things came out of that. Firstly, I realized how much I actually enjoyed the process. So as much work as it is, I really, really enjoyed the process along the way. I enjoy all the speakers that I can connect with, all the people that it's able to bring together. We've had now, over the last two years, 11,000 people and I think 35 plus countries. So the ability to kind of connect people from, from all over the world, the platform that it provides, and then really from a, you know, being transparent from a business standpoint, it just became a no brainer to continue to host these events and all the benefits that you were able to reap from, from hosting these events. I love it. I love it. And the thing that's interesting to me, and look, everybody dealt with covid and that time period in life a little bit differently. But I felt like you really kind of took the bull by the horns there and it felt like you found your group, you know? So you had launched the cert, but now, man, you're hosting these massive events. So what was your mindset going into all this? Yeah, I mean, one thing I I've, I feel like I've always been fortunate and and this is not anything special to me. This is just a mindset and mentality that I think every every coach should have and every practitioner and everybody should have is I shoot my shots, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I've always been this way. And so, for example, one of the things that even prompted me to create the sleep course when we first met actually was that it was a, a Joel uh, Jamieson Bioforce seminar. He hosts mm-hmm. the you know annual event for all the people that are in his course. And just, it was a simple email that I sent to him and I was like, Hey, this is some stuff I'm doing around sleep. Would love to, to speak at the event. And he's like, yeah, let's do it. Right. And so that mentality kind of trickled into the hosting of these events, right. Where it was, if I'm going to do it, right. I'm going to go all in and I'm going to try and make it as best as I possibly can. And that meant really reaching out to a lot of high profile names and reaching out to people like, Hey, you want to be a part of this event? This is what I'm thinking. And so you know, obviously from there it was, okay, you got to make sure you over deliver on this. But the, the primary, primary step, which I think is just so, so important is just be willing to put yourself out there, like willing to take that shot. Yeah. Yeah. And that, I think that's something that a lot of people are remiss to do, right? Like there's a lot of, for sure. 
negative self-talk or imposter syndrome. I feel like that gets tossed around a lot, but there's probably some merit to it. But yeah, I mean, you just honestly, the one of the things that I try to live my life by is that if you don't ask, the answer is always no. Exactly. Exactly. No. And that's, and that's so true. And I mean, whether it's you're hosting an event or, you know, there's somebody in the industry that you look up to that you think you can learn from or want to be mentored by or want to collaborate with or, or whatever it might be, the worst that you can get is a no or a no answer, but you'd be amazed at how many people in this industry are, are really open and receptive to things like that. I think, you know, like obviously people that are well-known in the industry, like yourself and Joel and are, you know, they're, you, people put, put them on a pedestal in a way. Right. And right. like, they're not just normal, good human <laughs> beings, like everybody else that you can talk to. Right? right. And just, you know, being willing to to just put yourself out there and initiate conversations and not necessarily putting them on this unreachable, you know, platform. Yeah. Well, and you know, too, you've been behind the scenes enough and at the tables at dinner and most of us are pretty darn normal human beings. You know what I mean? Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, Obviously, there's a couple exceptions, but for sure. the vast, you know, but for the and we won't name any names, but for the vast yeah vast majority, like if you, I mean, obviously the environment at raised the bar was I think really representative of that. Yes, I mean everybody was, you know, and you could just tell it's a network of speakers where they're all friendly with each other, and you know they're all kind of mingling with attendees and just hanging out, and so you know, and so much great comes from that, and that's the beauty of events that I love so much, just the energy and the connection, and you know, with raised the bar, we had you know the pleasure I think of being one of the first pivoting back to in-person yeah. and man, you saw it, like just how grateful everybody was to be back at an in-person conference. Like I'm sure the energy would have been great regardless, but that just took things to a whole, whole nother level. Absolutely. So let's, let's talk more about that because as you kind of mentioned, this is the first time a lot of us have spoken publicly in two years or darn close to it. Right. I was trying to think, I mean, I don't think I'd done anything since maybe November of 2019. So it had been a while since we'd done anything. For you as a seminar promoter, were you at all apprehensive about putting on an in-person event? And how do you feel like it came together overall? Yeah, I definitely, you know, there was definitely a lot of, not a lot, but there was a good amount of, of hesitation just because of the unknown, right? So when we right. made the decision was around June of last year where Derek and I made the decision, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to host an in-person event. This is going to be the format. Things were in a pretty good place, you know, <laughs> COVID wise. Right. And right. obviously that doesn't mean anything because it can change. And as we know, in a heartbeat. So at that point, we felt like it was a good time to pivot. And so we felt fairly confident. And again, things were in a good place, but Along the way, right, that was not long after, say, November-ish, October, November, was when new variants hit, things started to surge again. And so, you know, at that point, we were faced with the decision of what do we do here, right? You right. know, the unknown of do we proceed, do we pivot to a virtual event of this, do we just pull the plug altogether, um, and I think, you know, the fortunate thing, because we had announced so early and made the commitment so early, was we already had a good amount of equity in the event at that point. We already right. had maybe 40, 50 people that signed up, maybe even a little more. And so, you know, we looked at it as, hey, even if nobody else signs up and, you know, things really take a turn, we do have a, a foundation here. And I think that that helped. But, but yeah, there was definitely a lot of struggle along the way to kind of figure things out and navigate. Um, but I think all in all, 
Uh, we were super happy with how things turned out. The energy was great. The feedback was great. We had no technology issues, which, yeah. which is huge. Everybody got there. Um, there was some like that weekend and leading up to the weekend, there was these crazy ice storms and winter <laughs> storms all over the place. Um, and even though people had delays, yourself included, yeah. <laughs> uh, we don't, we don't have to talk about that miserable <laughs> day that you had, but, um, but everybody got there. And yeah. so, yeah, I mean, we really couldn't have been happier with how things turned out. I love it. And I mean, I'm just thinking back now. So you're like five or six fairly major seminars in now without like giving away any competitive advantage you have. Like what's the future of your events? Like, what are you thinking about going forward? How do you continue to evolve? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that it's with the in-person events, it's just being, it's being consistent. And, you know, with that first event, there's so many things we learned and so many things I think we'll do, we'll do differently, but you know, it's, I think a big thing I think about with these events and, you know, there's been, there's been aspects of things that have come up, whether it's socially or industry wise or trying to host fundraisers, you know, I've tried to, to balance what the platform that these events have with using that platform for some type of good as well, right. Right. For the, the kind of betterment of the industry. And that was as cliche as that sounds, that really is a focus for Derek and myself moving forward because we have been in the industry a long time. Derek's actually been in the industry even longer than me. And we have seen a lot and we have struggled a lot. And there are a lot of things that we want to see improve in the industry and for those in it, right? And so that was why we made the concept of the conference raise the bar, right? Because it was, hey, we have this platform now and we're going to host events. What should we use that platform platform for, right? Mm-hmm. How about elevating the standard of the industry and focusing on topics that don't necessarily get enough attention? And so- I think that's really going to continue to be the focus. Maybe they'll be a little more targeted in some of those missing links and some of those areas, but really just hopefully using the platform to continue to elevate the industry. I love it, man. Okay, so kind of a a last thread or topic I want to focus on is kind of where your head is at these days and, and kind of the evolution of you as a coach, as a mentor. And we had a text conversation before the show, and you mentioned that you want coaches to start envisioning themselves more like healthcare practitioners. So could you explain that thought process a little bit to me? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so this is something I've been really passionate about for a long time, you know, really for the entirety of the time I've been in the industry. When this idea was first floated out to me, you know, coaches envisioning themselves as healthcare practitioners. And I think, you know, on the surface, firstly, that term healthcare practitioner comes with a connotation that's attached to it, right? Or a perception where it's you know, only a licensed medical provider, or only people that work in an insurance model, right? All that right. type of stuff. But to me, I mean, a healthcare practitioner is really anybody who is in any capacity responsible for somebody's health. And so if we take that definition, us, as I mentioned earlier, with the amount of contacts that we have versus really virtually any other provider, we have way more contacts, way more opportunities with individuals to impact their, their long-term health, right? And to really to really make a change in all these things that we see in the world. Um, and with that, I think comes a huge role and responsibility as well as a huge opportunity to really capitalize on that. But what I've found the more I've come across coaches and having conversations is I don't know that necessarily coaches always have the tools and resources to actually be able to do that. Right. And so for example, what I spoke about at raise the bar was healthcare collaboration, how you can initiate collaborative relationships with other providers and what that looks like. And because the reality is, and I actually did a survey with coaches and a very, very small percentage of them have ever reached out to 
other providers to initiate relationships or have a network that they can really trust and be confident in. And so that's just one pillar or one element. But, you know, the focus for me is really providing a framework and system that allows and empowers coaches to position themselves in that healthcare practitioner role, how they communicate with other providers, how they're involved in their community, how they become more well-rounded in their approach, right? All of those, how they establish better connections, all those elements that ultimately will position them to be more of a healthcare practitioner. I love that. It's funny that you talk about this too, because this is something that I feel like without talking about being a healthcare practitioner, this idea of creating a really strong referral network of mm. like-minded individuals. So one of the things that we have that I feel incredibly blessed to have here in Indianapolis is we've got you know a massage therapist, a Cairo, we've got a dietitian. Obviously, I got a pretty good physical therapist in-house. We've got meal prep. We've got hyperbaric oxygen therapy. <clears throat> Excuse me. Like the amount of people that we can reference and refer people to is massive. And it helps our clients and our athletes get better results. And look, if they kick people back to us, that's great. But ultimately, I'm a big believer that the better care you take of your clients and athletes, the longer they're going to stay, the better retention is going to be, and the more people they're going to refer to you in kind. Absolutely. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, that's always the biggest misconception that, you know, if I give this talk or I'm having this conversation to overcome is that it's going to be necessarily bad for your business or, right. right. There's a, there's a level, unfortunately, a lot in this industry, there's a level of ego involved, right? Like we feel like we need to heal. We feel like we need to handle everything in house and be able to solve everything in house. Right. When of course that's not, that shouldn't be the case. And people will always either come back or they'll be willing to refer you somebody within their family. If you have their best interest at heart, it's never something that does you a disservice. Right. And yeah. so, um, yeah, I just, again, that's kind of just one element of how do you actually take the, the steps, right? No matter what setting you're working in, how do you initiate these relationships? How do you find them? You know, what should that initial contact be like? What should your approach be? And all of those elements. Okay. So just to give everybody listening a little taste of this, what would your initial contact be like? Because I feel like I've done this long enough. And a lot of times for me, here's what I did. And for right, wrong, or indifferent, I would go in there totally blind. I would go in as a, as a client. So if I'm going to try a massage therapist, I'm not thinking about, hey, I'm going to create a joint venture with you right now. I'm going to go in and I'm going to pay for a session and get the feel for how does she, he or she, how do they treat me? What's the scheduling process? Are they professional? All those things. But I'd love to hear your thoughts. Like, how do you go about doing that? Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's a, that's a great, great approach and a great strategy to kind of get, you know, get your foot in the, your foot in the door. Mm -hmm. um, another like bonus strategy that kind of ties in really well with that is your existing clientele, right? Your existing yeah. clients that you have asking them who their primary care physician is and who the other, some of the other providers that they're seeing and either going with them to a visit or being asking them if they're willing to kind of make that initial contact. So you have that, that common ground that, you know, that synergy right off the bat, that's kind of one strategy, but I have really a framework and I'll kind of go through these main strategies relatively quickly here. But the, the first is kind of goes back to what we talked about earlier. You got to be willing and open-minded, right? Yeah. Making that initial contact, Obviously you want to do it in the right way, but you have to be willing to actually do it. Right. And so an example, I mean, I always have these conversations where I'll ask coaches if they have reached out to a provider. Right. 
And I usually get something along the lines of, well, they're not open to it, right? They're closed-minded. They have a limited model. And, and all those things can be true. But my follow-up question is always, well, let's talk through this, right? What, tell me about the interaction. Tell me what you sent, what you did. Well, I didn't actually reach out, right? So that's, that's <laughs> the first step. And I yeah. think you'd be surprised if you are strategic with who you reach out to. I think you'd be surprised at how many MDs are very receptive or a lot of other providers are receptive to, to people that they can accept into their network, especially again, if you're reaching out in the right way. Right. So the next kind of pillar or point is I always, always, always reach out with a learn first approach, right? Always lead with the opportunity to learn from them. Hi, so-and-so I've really been following the work that you do with your, your clients and patients over the last number of years, months. And I really respect your approach. I respect what it is that you do. I would love for the opportunity to learn from you in whatever capacity that might, might be to better the people that I'm working with, right? So always leading from the standpoint of wanting to learn from them, whether it's a quick call, an email exchange, them allowing you to go there, whatever it is, right? And there's an element of that, obviously kind of stroking the ego, sure. but it just kind of eliminates some of those barriers kind of right off the, right off the bat, right? The next kind of piece is you have to be crystal clear on your role and your scope of practice and make sure that this is defined, explained, and followed in your process and that you don't reference anything that kind of steps outside of that. And that obviously can be a whole conversation in and of itself. Um, and then the next piece is really just once you've initiated that contact, providing value, right? And this kind of leans in with that learn first approach, but always offer value. So for example, in a sleep coaching perspective, I've done free sleep coaching for the staff, right? For the, uh, for the administrative staff and some of the support staff, I've done lunch and learns, things like that. So always also kind of go at that approach of providing value. What can you offer of value to them without really asking for anything in return, right? Don't always go with that direct, Hey, look at me. This is what I do. This is you know, I'm the best coach in the world and I do this and I do that. I offer this, I offer this package, right? Because think about if there was the reverse, if somebody reached out to you with that mindset, right? You wouldn't be, you wouldn't be very receptive to it, right? No. So similar, similar replies. And I, and I know I just went through those pretty quickly, but. No, that's super helpful. That's super helpful. Just, it always helps to hear just some general strategies, right? Because immediately a lot of people will put their guard up and they'll be like, no, I can't do that. They'll have 20 excuses. Well, there's a couple ways right now that you can start creating these connections, reaching out and hopefully expanding your network. So those are awesome. Okay, my guys. So you've already done the big question. So in this case, you are going to get a very special lightning round because I know some inside dirt on you and I want to bring it to light today. So love it. Love it. <laughs> Number one, this was a, this is a new one. What was your first car? First car was a 2003 Honda CRV that I absolutely beat to death. Um, <laughs> Hondas are amazing. You can get incredible life out of them. I think when I sold, quote unquote, sold the car for basically nothing, it had 250,000 miles on it. So Wow. That thing yeah. lived a good life, man. It definitely did. Definitely. That's impressive. Okay. Number two, first concert you ever saw. First concert I went to was actually, and maybe I know this maybe actually ties into something we, we talked about at the event in terms of like embarrassing music, but I am no longer a fan of this band. And actually shortly after I went to this concert, no longer listen to them, but this was probably like sixth, seventh grade. 
uh, was a Green Day concert. Okay. Okay. So, I like yeah, it. Old old school Green Green Day. Yeah. I like it. I like it. Okay. Number three. Do I remember you telling me that you were a DJ on the side? Is that true? That is correct. Um, as of right now, I am not currently doing it, although exploring getting back into it. So I started doing it in college, uh, working with an entertainment company at the time, um, doing weddings, mitzvahs, uh, things like that. Continue to do it after college, worked with a few, uh, few different companies. And then unfortunately and admittedly got into the electronic music scene quite a bit. So was producing music a, a little bit. I uh, had a conversation actually at the event with, uh, with Nick Winkleman. Yeah. Bit. Nick, He's Nick, into produces, it, right? Nick, yeah, Nick produces some music at a much, uh, much more quality clip than I ever did, but <laughs> got into that scene for a while. So I was doing like two and 3 AM sets at clubs in New York city for a while, which is pretty, pretty terrible. So that didn't last long. Uh, but still the, the element of, Weddings and mitzvahs and things like that are, are a lot of fun. I have said numerous times, but uh, I believe if there was like a royalty for listening to a certain album while creating profitable work, I would owe Dead Mouse a lot of money because there's yeah. there's a lot of just you can zone out and just go to work. And so I think it's like lodged in my brain when I hear whatever the red album is from like 08. I just for, go into work for mode. sure. Yeah, okay. I mean, dance music has changed a lot, but there's still a lot of elements that that I will listen to still to this day. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Number four. Here's the question: What's one song or artist that you secretly jam to in your car that you're embarrassed to admit to? Man. <clears throat> so we had we had this conversation. I know at the at the conference at the VIP dinner. We yes. Had, this was this was floated around and made for <laughs> some made for some great conversation. And I think at that point, my answer was Adele. Yeah. Um, yes. I've been a big Adele fan for for a while, which is not something I would normally involuntarily float out there, right? <laughs> um, but definitely a big big Adele fan. And then I think the other thing we talked about was I am a huge old school R and B fan. Yeah. Kind of talk through uh, talk through some artists. So <laughs> there's a lot of like boys to men, Brian McKnight uh, moods that I find myself in for sure. Yes, I love it, man. And just for uh, and actually. A funny, funny, quick, funny kind of story on that. Uh, so I went, I got tickets for, she was my girlfriend at the time, now my wife, for a Brian McKnight concert. And it was on Valentine's Day. Oh, wow. Okay. And because I was such a big Brian McKnight fan, my wife actually ended up getting sick. She had some stomach bug. Um, so ended up like just last minute pulling uh, pulling a buddy of mine to, to go along with me. Just because again, being a big fan, I still wanted to go. So uh -huh. it was my buddy and I, and no exaggeration, just everyone else was couples. Um, he was like speaking to the couples in the crowd, appealing to the couples in the crowd. And it was just uh, just my buddy and I. So it was a very interesting, uh, very interesting situation. Super random. But my wife and I saw Brian McKnight as well. I forget how long ago it was. It's been years now. But yeah, we saw him as well. Love it. I love he, it. He's he's a he's a classic man. OK, last but not least, number five. What's next for Nick Lamb? What are you working on? What are you excited about? Anything. Yeah, man, absolutely. So, I mean, within the event space, continuing to, to host events, you know, we've got some different and unique style of events that are going to come down the pipeline later this year. We will host Raise the Bar again uh, in 2023, probably very similar uh, similar time frame. And then next course is in the works as well, which is going to be centered around that framework of positioning yourself as a, as a new healthcare practitioner. I love it, man. Well, Nick, always great catching up with you. Love our chats. 
just love all the things you're doing for the industry, man. It's it's really been great to get to know you over the years. So where can my listeners find out more about you? Yeah, man. Likewise, thank you for having me. And yeah, I mean, still on uh, on social media, I'm the online sleep coach. Um, at Recovery and Sleep Summit is the main uh, summit that I host uh, host annually. Um, sleepcoachcourse.com is the website for the course that I mentioned that kind of walks through all the practical applications of sleep and recovery, how you assess, screen, how you actually coach, uh, how you integrate it into what you do, all of those things. I love it, man. Well, Nick, again, so great having you on, brother. Thanks for doing this. Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me back on. All right, my friend, that does it for this week's show with Nick. Really hope you enjoyed it. Like I said up top, tons of different topics covered. I enjoyed talking a little bit about sleep. If you want all of that, go back, listen to the first episode. I'll make sure I get the link in the show notes. But it was just really cool talking about how he pivoted, how he started creating this or this seminar series, um, you know, his thoughts on Con Ed, because we need more people out there like this. Like, I love doing Con Ed. I love speaking at seminars. I don't know if I'm ever going to put on the big events like I have in the past. But, I mean, it's really great that we have people like Nick that are willing to pioneer this, to continue to push it forward. And look, that last event, I mean, it was amazing. He had a live event. He had an online streaming version. So you really get the best of both worlds. If you can be there, great. If you don't want to travel for whatever reason or it's not feasible for you, you got an online version as well. So awesome, awesome dude. Hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, do me one small favor. Wherever you consume podcasts, go there right now and subscribe to the show. Whether it's iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Play, Amazon, Wherever you consume podcasts, hit the subscribe button so you know each and every week when a new episode drops. So my friend, as always, thank you so much for your support. Love and appreciate you. And we'll be back next week with our next episode. Take care.